I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Father, I pray that you just help us now to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to each one of us. I pray you'd open up our hearts and our minds and cut things specifically to each person so everybody hears you tonight, including me in Jesus' name. Amen. The man who wrote that verse, who recorded that, was the youngest of all of the disciples, and actually he was the last one left. All the others eventually were murdered, martyred, killed. For what, not, not what they believed, but for what they saw. The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, they actually saw him die, and they saw him, the guy who said, I am the resurrection and the life, they saw him come back to life. And so they were not afraid of death. They faced every attack and every persecution, stop talking about Jesus, stop talking about that he raised from the dead. It wasn't just a belief for them. They No, we saw with our own eyes. We, we touched him. We, 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 we ate with him. He's alive. And they believed that to their deaths. And it's amazing because there were only 12 guys in the beginning. And when Jesus ascended and left the earth, there were 120. Do you remember this? Only 120 uh, followers of Jesus in the whole world. And today there's like 2.3 billion people who, who identify themselves as Christian. 2.3. That's, that's the population of China and Europe all together. That's one out of every three people. And Jesus has changed the world. I mean, the resurrection, because of these guys who said, we're not backing down. We saw what we saw. I mean, think of Jesus never wrote a book, but more books have been written about Jesus than any, anybody else. He never wrote a song, but more music has been composed about Jesus and to his glory than any other person who ever lived. He never built a building, but more architecture and buildings have been built, built to his glory than any person who ever lived. His, his arrival on the planet split history into two parts, and you date your birthday in relation to his arrival. He's affected everybody, whether you believe in him or not, atheists alike. He's the most important person who ever lived. And these guys said, we're not backing down. They tried to shut John up too. He was the last one left. They tried to poison him. Didn't work. They threw him into boiling oil. He somehow survived that. And in defiance, he kept writing. They tried to shut him up. He wrote a book called The Gospel of John, which we just read. But he also wrote another book of the Bible called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. At the age of about 80, 85, on the Lord's Day, he's now exiled to this little barren rock in the middle of the Mediterranean called Patmos, a, a prison colony. And there on the Lord's Day, he has a vision of the resurrected Lord, a revelation of Jesus. Not revelations, just the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in this, he doesn't see Jesus, the guy he knew, the human Jesus. He sees the resurrected Jesus. The first chapter just explodes with, it, it fries your brain. Uh, you, you just need to read. It says Jesus is just so, he's blazing with light. He can hardly look at him. He's got hair that's white as, as wool. He's, uh, he's, he's got a voice that's like many waters, and it's just like a waterfall, and like a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. It's like he just speaks, and his enemies are 
just destroyed. I mean, Jesus in power, and John records what that's like. And this is what John said in Revelation chapter 1. Take a look at this in your notes. When I saw him, when he had this revelation of Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead, which he didn't actually die, but he passed out. I mean, he was so afraid of what he saw because here's Jesus in all of his glory and his power revealed as God. And Jesus comes over and he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid, which I know there's humor in the Bible. Easy for you to say, Jesus, you know, Jesus in all of his power, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I was there in the very beginning. I created all things. I was there in Genesis and I'll be here right at the end. And this is how it's all going to play out. By the way, you want to be on the right side when this all comes, comes to an end, just for free. That's not even in the message. I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. I, I, I am the first and the last. I am alive. I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. Amen. And Jesus amens himself. It's in the Bible. Looks like I'm going to have to do that tonight. I was dead, but he is alive. Amen. That's right. Yes. I, I, yes, I agree with that. I was dead. I, I was dead, but now I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and the grave. I went to hell itself, and I took back the keys of death uh, and, and have hell from, from Satan, and now I hold them in my hand. Keys unlock things. Keys mean authority. Key, keys mean, mean access and power. And he says, I actually have the keys in my hand. All authority has been given to me, and I have the keys over death and hell itself. That's incredible. That means whatever's hell in your life, he says, I have the authority and the power to unlock that. Whatever's dying or dead in your life. You see, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus as if it's something that just happened in the past. But Jesus didn't come so that we would just have a nice holiday and something to celebrate. He said, I came not only uh, to, to conquer death for me, but to conquer death for all of you and for all of us. I came to conquer death for everyone, and I have the keys of death and hell and the grave in my hand. I can unlock dead things. Yes. So let me ask you a question. What's dead or what's dying in your life right now? Darren, I'm not dying. I'm breathing air right now. Yes, I know, breathing air, but there's a lot of people that I've done the funerals for. They're dead, but they are more alive today than, any, than ever before. And then there are people who are alive right now, breathing air, but life is suffocating them. They're dying on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? Living dead, like experience, like walking around breathing, but I'm dying on the inside. What is it? Is it a financial death you're going through? Is it a, is it a relational death? Is it a, an emotional kind of a thing? Let me give you some categories and you can write these down, what kind of death I'm talking about. There's, there's the emotional death of just living and feeling the pressure of life just pushing down. People live with this all the time. Sleeping, can't sleep, scroll through, the, through Twitter and Facebook all night long, can't, can't seem to sleep, worried, afraid. A, a dad saying, you know what, nobody knows about the financial pressure we're about to go through. I'm trying to hold it together, but I'm scared to death, and you feel the panic, and you don't want mom, you don't want the wife and the kids to know, but, but you know that pressure. And you're scared, and it's a, it's, a, it's a fearful thing. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying for any person who feels the loneliness and the sadness of just being alone. And you can't seem to get over or get through that. And it feels like an emotional death. There's, there's an, a relational death where somebody died that you loved, and they're no longer there. 
or maybe it was a divorce and the, the family ripped apart. And everybody who's been through that knows that that's worth, worse than death itself. Like that kind of the separation or the living death of a divorce. Or maybe it's just the cutoff that happened, you know, when the falling out happened in the family. And you don't talk to your brothers or sisters anymore. You don't talk to your mom. You don't talk to your dad. You don't talk to this whole side of the family. And there's a rift and there's an emotional uh, and a relational death that took place. And it's painful and difficult. Maybe it's a spiritual death. And see... I don't know if you think about this one very much. It might not be on your radar, but think about the cost of spiritual death because this is that death where, you know, you, you, you pray, but God's like a million miles away. You try to, to feel God or you try to connect with him and there's no connection. You, you knew what it was like maybe at one point in your life, some of you, to know God. And to know the warmth of his love. But now you feel nothing. A, a, a cynicism has come in. A skepticism. You don't even know what to believe anymore. And some of you, you've never known what it's like. There's just that emptiness on the inside. Call yourself Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, Christian, whatever your label is. Nothing going on spiritually on the inside. Just going through the motions. And that's a sad place to be. And so Jesus comes and he says, I didn't just come just to rise from the dead and then you would look back. I came to raise dead things to life. I came to unlock the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So whatever it is that you're going through, I am he who lives. I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. I hold these keys of death, hell, and the grave. And I've come to bring a resurrection to your life. He's saying this. Uh, uh, and this is the most critical part of all. It's not just about what happened to Jesus. It's what can happen with Jesus and how you can not only know about a resurrection, but you can experience a resurrection in your own life. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you from the dead. Look at this in your notes. Romans chapter 8. Check out this verse. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal body through the spirit who dwells in you. I have the ability to raise you back from the dead, from that overwhelming hurt that took place, from that jaded hypocrisy, from the person that let you down, all that stuff that has you parked, the death that's happening in your life spiritually, relationally, emotionally. He says, I came... And the same spirit that raised, the same energy and power that would raise Jesus from the dead is available to you. Yes. Now, I don't want to just inspire you tonight. And I hate sermons where I'm just inspired, but I'm left at the end going, I don't even know what to do. Like, what do I do with that? Yes, but how? Yes, Darren, I, I want that resurrection in my life, but, but how, how does that happen? Well... Let me just read this again from the message translation. Look at this verse again, but this time from the message translation. Look at this. It stands as a reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. Bringing you, notice it's not something that just happened once. It's a, it's a process. Bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. And this is for every person here who feels dead in some part of your life or some part of your life is dying. Look at what he says. With his spirit living in you, 
your body, you, will be as alive as Christ. So because he lives, he says there is a process for you that because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, that fear can be gone. Because he lives, that you can have a future. Because he lives, what was dead and what, was, what is dying can live again. Because he lives. So I want that. So let me explain to you how a resurrection happens. I've seen this over and over and over again in people's lives for so many years now. And there is a resurrection process that happens. It doesn't all happen in one day. But the first part you don't even realize is going on. And every, the first part's happening to every person here already. The second part can happen in a moment. I mean, it could happen today for you if you want it. The other two parts of the process don't happen in a day, can't happen today. It can start, but, but it takes some time. But if you engage the process and you start to follow, I'm telling you, a couple years from now, you'll look back on your life and you'll say, I don't even recognize myself. You'll be doing things that you never thought you could do. You're going to be healed from hurt that's on the inside right now that you never even saw, but it's driving behavior and driving the way you function. You're going to be able to be free from brokenness and free from baggage, and you're going to be able to, to move ahead and to be the person God made you to be. In fact, you'll look back and you'll say, that old person that was me, he's dead, and I'm living a brand new life. You will have experienced a resurrection. And that's the process that happens. Let me walk you through the process. Number one, the first part of the process, write this down, and it's different than what you may think, but, but God is seeking you. You think you're, it starts with you getting your act together and looking for God because there's this misconception that somehow, you know, God is up there and he's mad at me and he's kind of waiting for me to get my act together. And when I'm sincere enough and when I've done enough good and when I have, you know, kind of crawled to him in my guilt and my shame and I say, look, I've got, done enough good things now for, for us to have the conversation. And God goes, well, we'll see. Show me what you've done and then we'll have a conversation. That's not God at all. In fact, that's, that couldn't be further from what the Bible actually teaches. The most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I mean, God came to earth on a mission to find you. I came seeking you. And see, God is seeking you long before you ever woke up to the idea of seeking God. In fact, you know he's been messing with you. Most of you would, would say, I've, I know God's messing with me for quite some time. And you, you, he, he'll, he'll, he'll show up and he'll do something and say, well, how do you like this? And watch that now. And call that a coincidence. <laughs> He's messing with you. He messed with some of you even to get you here tonight. And so you look back and you realize God has been searching for you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. So God has already chosen you and he's looking for you and he's trying to get, he's trying to say, will you wake up and see me? But, but we're so... We're so sure that he's mad. We're so sure that he's going to do something, uh, he's going to require something from us. I just want to say that the process starts with him seeking you. The very first story in the Bible are two people that had a relationship with God and they fell into sin and the sin broke the relationship. And you know what they did? They ran and they hid. And what, what is God doing? He goes out looking for them, searching them. Adam, where are you? They're in their guilt and shame, but he's the one looking for them. I heard a story about a pastor who would visit people who would come to his church, 
you don't have to worry about this. I don't do this. But, he, but he, this guy did this, and he would go, oh, a visitor. So he would actually go to their house, and he'd knock on the door. Well, this one time, he's knocking on the door, and he's sure that the person's inside. So he knocks a little louder, rings the doorbell. The person's not coming. Hey, and he's knocking on the door. And they're not coming, so what he would do is he would take his business card out, and he thought this was kind of funny. He'd write on it this very famous verse. I'm sure you've heard of it, uh, Revelation 3.20, and he would say, Here I am, I stand at the door, and I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Famous verse. He thought that was kind of cute, and so he wrote on it, and he jams it into the door, and he leaves it and goes away. Well, the next Sunday, the card shows up in the offering. And the usher brings it to him, but this time there's this other scripture reference written on the same card. And so he didn't know what it was. It was Genesis 3.10, but he didn't know what that meant. So he goes back to his office, and he looks up Genesis 3.10, which says, Behold, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. (laughs) That's funny right there. But there's a really great spiritual truth in that little story. You know what that is? Because that's what people do. They are afraid of God. They are scared of God. It's like, they tr- it's like, when the, it's like watching a police officer come follow you for a little while. You're, you're, are the lights going to come on? And there, some of you were, were anxious about coming to church tonight. You're anxious about being here. You're just, you're, you've got a, a, a low-grade fear of what God might do. If you ever found him or he ever found you. And so here's the thing. I just want you to know that there's a great misconception that you have to get your act together to come to God. No, that's not true at all. Get to God and he'll help you get your act together. That's what what he wants from you. So the first one is, is that he is seeking you. The second thing he's doing is that he saves you. He, He actually, he doesn't want to fix you all up or get you all uh, changed. He just wants to get you out of there. He wants to, to move you from, 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 from where you are spiritually in your life. He wants to move you out and get you into a different location. He wants to call you out of, out of darkness, and he wants to put you in light. You're not going to be all, you don't, have to have, you don't have to start going to church or join a church or have a whole uh, list of religious behavior or, you know, start, he just wants to, to rescue you. And to, 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 to save you. Some of you don't think that you need saving. Some of you think, well, I'm, I'm okay. Listen, he, he sees everything. He knows it all. He's not mad at you, but he sees it all and he sees the mess. And he's saying, I want to come help you with that. And you know what it is. You don't need anybody to tell you what's dark. <laughs> I mean, one of the worst things in the world that can happen is when you're at home and the house is a mess and the doorbell rings. You ever been there? You know what happens in my family? People get up and start running. My my wife's the director of this. Get stuff into the closet and maybe you put some, just shove it in the microwave, close the door, you know. Put it in the oven, uh, stuck it under the couch, whatever, you know, hide it all. Oh, come on in. It looks great. You know, we'd love to have you. But there's that panic moment where we're shoving everything in the closets, right? You know, that's what people do with God all the time. God is standing at your door. Imagine God saying, I want to come to your house. I want to help you. I want to just sit down with you and talk, and I want to help you sort out the mess. And even if, even if you did bring him in, I mean, with the stuff all hidden, how authentic is that anyway? I got stuff in the closet, stuff in the microwave. Oh, nothing. We're all good. It's fine. It's good. <laughs> he says, I know about all that stuff, and I just want to help you. I want to help you. I want to save you from that. I want to turn the light on. And some of you, you need the light turned on in the places in your life that you know. See, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it just leads to death. 
And God sees where it's headed. You, you kind of see where it's headed too. And he says, I want to save you from that. I want to grab you now while there's still time. I want to bring the light. I want to save you. The third thing that he does, which is amazing, is that he starts a restoration process. He restores you. Now, the first two, he, he seeks you. That's been going on for some time. When he saves you, if you let him, if you, if you let him rescue you, that can happen immediately the minute you stick your hand out to him, the minute you open the door. But these other parts, they take a while. You ever done a restoration process at home? You know how it always takes longer than you think? It was just going to be an easy remodel. That's a lie. There is no easy remodel. And peeling paint can be painful. And uh, digging through old plaster. And all of us, like sheep, we've gone astray each to our own way. And there's a baggage that is in our life. There's things that have been plastered over, stuff we don't talk about, things that we don't really admit to anyone, maybe ourselves. And he says, I want to restore you. I want to heal you. I want to change you from the inside out. This is where he begins to start to address the junk and deal with us. And not just us, but what we're carrying with us, the, the generational baggage and the sins of the fathers and things that we're not even aware of that are driving our lives, things that happened to us when we were young and 13, 14 years old, and they still affect the way we behave today. And God says, I want to start addressing that. I want to start dealing with issues like forgiveness and restitution and making amends. And I want to start changing your hurts and your habits and all of your hang-ups. And that's a process that takes time. But you see, God is so patient. He's not willing that any person just perish in that, but he's willing for every person to be totally restored. He sees you as you could be and what you should be, not as you are today. And that's what's so amazing. He has a vision for how you can be and he's the only one that can master plan that and take, it, take you through it a step at a time. He doesn't put it all on your plate at once. It would be overwhelming. But he'll start to talk to you about one thing. Right. Or, and you just keep saying, yes, God, yes, God, to each of those steps. It'll take far less time than you think. But I promise you, the restoration, you look back on a person who engages the process of restoration with Jesus, the living, powerful Jesus. And you'll look back and you'll say, I don't even recognize myself. There's such a change. He'll take what's totally broken and messed up, and he'll make something beautiful. See, he accepts you just the way that you are, and he'll save you in a moment, but he won't let you stay that way. And he'll say, come, let me work on that. And it's an amazing thing that he does. You see, I always dreamed that there would be a church that could be a church that was just for people in restoration. I hate the whole, hey, we're perfect, nothing's wrong with us, not like those people over there. Uh, this is the church where no perfect people are allowed. You think you're perfect? Don't come. You'll screw it up. <laughs> this, this is a place for, we all have issues. I've got issues. You have issues. All y'all have issues. If you think you don't have an issue, that's your issue. <laughs> We all have issues. None of us are perfect. And I just dreamed of a church where we could be the guilt-free zone, which means I don't have to tell you what's wrong with your life. I've got lots wrong with me. And let's have an environment where we don't have to pretend and we can ask God to do a restoration process on us together. And if you don't have a church home and you don't have a place like that, I say come to a place where you can just come as you are and let God work the restoration in your life over time. And you're welcome just as you are today. The last part is the most important part. I love it the best. He redeems us. He redeems us. 
And I know that's a word you don't use in your vocabulary very much, but it's not just restore. I mean, to restore is to take something that's a mess and make it beautiful. But God doesn't just make you beautiful to sit you on a shelf. He, he made you beautiful, but then he wants to use you. Redeem means to take something that had no value, but now to give it value and to give it usefulness. God's created every person for a purpose, but sin marred it and destroyed it. So, so to redeem is to say, you were messed up. But I didn't just make you beautiful, now I want to use you. He, didn't, he, he saves you to serve others and to make you useful in the lives of other people. And there's so many people, I, I, I think the statistic is about 87% of people in church today have no idea what their spiritual gift is, why God, here, here's what I know. God takes the very things that we're embarrassed about and the mistakes we made and some of the shame that's in our life and if you let him restore you, and redeem you, that, that stuff that was embarrassing to us before becomes the greatest uh, trophy of victory for God to use. I know, like the 13% of you are going to clap, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he wants to redeem all that stuff. He says, I work all things together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. He's got a purpose for all, that, all those mistakes. I know you, you say, I wish I hadn't made all those mistakes in the past, but who better to talk to a person about the pain of a divorce than somebody who went through that, or somebody who lost a child, or somebody who went through a horrible tragedy, or somebody who lost a family, or who had a failure, and they're coming back, and God uses and heals and restores and redeems that person, and now you get to say, that's what I used to be, but I don't even recognize that person anymore, and there's a resurrection that takes place. Six years ago, a guy walked into our church, and here's a little bit of his story, broken uh, on the, the, the heels of a second marriage blowing up, his children didn't talk to him, no relationship with his father, hadn't spoken to his brother in, in 30 plus years, an emotional wreck, a highly successful individual who had a great job and a lot of money, and now suddenly no job, and at the bottom. What a, what a fall, and dead in every area of his life, and six years ago, he came in this door. Take a look at this story. Hi, my name is Dave, and I've been coming to Heartland for about six years. And at that time, when I first started coming, I was in a different place in my life. I had no relationship with my father, no relationship with my brother, very complicated issues with my kids. I was in a new marriage, and I was searching for a job. At that time in my dark place, I just felt like I needed help, and I, I didn't know where to go. I was running out of strength, I was running out of ideas, I was trying to do things on my own. A friend invited me to Heartland, and I came, started listening to the messages, and I'm, as I'm listening, I'm realizing how lost I really am. The part that was missing in my life was really my relationship with God. The one thing that really um, changed me in, in a particular sermon was loving people well and, and forgiveness. And forgiveness was a big part of the chain that I had wrapped around me that I couldn't break with my, with, really with my family. So forgiveness was big for me. And then I realized that I was created uh, for, for a reason for God to love me and me to love him. And there were things that I needed to do that he commanded that I was not doing in my life, and one of them was forgiveness. 
when I realized that, that God was starting to work in my heart and I was changing, uh, that relationship with my kids started changing as well. I had more connection with them. I've seen a big change in their life. A year ago, they were all baptized at once. And, uh, so we, all three were baptized on one Sunday. My children's situation started improving, but then I had two more big obstacles to, uh, to take care of, and that was one with my dad and the other with my brother. So acting out this forgiveness that I needed and felt in my heart several nights ago, driving in my car. It's hard to do it, but I dialed and connected with my father who lives in Tennessee. And that's only the second time that we've talked in seven years. And we had a great conversation. So I'm thinking, let's go the full route. So when I hung up with my father, I dialed my brother who lives in California. And he answered and I said, Kevin, this is your brother. And he just said, wow. He said to me, do you realize that I moved to California 35 years ago? And that's the first time we've connected. After that conversation, it felt like I had a lot of things lifted in my life. I just felt free. I felt like that I've done what God wanted me to do. Uh, he commands us to love. He commands us to forgive. And he's not going to command us to do anything if he doesn't think we can do it. And it took me 35 years to do this. It was so, so great. It, it's amazing to me in the last six years how my life has changed. And the relationships that were kind of dead in my life are now alive and they have hope and, and moving forward. And, and I will have constant uh, connections with my dad and my brother. And so it's, it's good stuff. <laughs> That's a miracle of a resurrection. That's the miracle of a resurrection, and, and that story is a snapshot. What you just saw is a snapshot of a process that took a few years. But looking back, you know, Dave, you would look back and you would say, that broken guy doesn't even exist anymore. And God's turned something that was broken into one of the most beautiful human beings that I know. Thank you for sharing your story uh, tonight with all of us. That's what Easter is all about, and that's the experience that I want for you to have, that it's not just something that you look back on and say it happened to Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you, and he wants to start a process where, where he's seeking you, and he saves you, and he restores you over time, and ultimately he totally redeems what was lost. That's the picture of the resurrection that he wants to do. And I don't know where you find yourself tonight or where you are in your spiritual journey or what's gone on, but I want to tell you this. Jesus said, because I live, you can live also. Because I live, you can live also. And I've been praying a prayer for you, and it comes from Scripture. Look at this prayer. I want you to stare at it on this screen. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. And stare at this and look at this and catch the impact of these words. I pray, I pray for you tonight. I pray that you will begin, begin. I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So what's dying in your life? 
Are you emotionally dying? Are you spiritually dying? Are you relationally dying? You say, Darren, I want that to happen for me. He doesn't ask you to fix up your whole life, to clean everything up. He's, he's alive. He's even here tonight. He's, he's here by the power of his Holy Spirit. If he has been gracious enough to touch your heart tonight or to, you, you heard his voice or this is connecting with you and that's the Spirit of God, God wants to give you just, just a, a deposit of hope that it doesn't have to be the way that it is right now, that it can change, that he can restore dead things. He can bring dead relationships back to life. He can bring uh, dead emotions back to life. He can even bring spiritually dead people back to life. And I'm not just talking to those people who've never had a relationship with Christ before. Some of you have known all about Jesus, and you wear the label, and you come to church, but it's been a long time since there's been anything going on spiritually inside of your heart. And maybe unforgiveness is the issue, or maybe some other thing that you've just said, God, not now, and you've held him outside the door, and he's been knocking for a long time, and he said, here's what I want you to do. And everybody's saying, well, you know what, quick, shove it, into the, shove it under the rug. Um, get it in the microwave. And he's saying, look, that's not going to help anything. In fact, what I want to do, with what I want to do in your life, you don't even have time for that. Let me come in. I will take you just as you are, and I will start, and I will order the process. I'll master plan it. And I'll take everything that's broken and messed up. I'll walk into the mess and the junk and the funk and all of it, right into the dirty house. And I'll take you just as you are. And I won't let you stay the same. I will work a process. Will you cooperate? The first part of this process has already been happening, and you're here. And for some of you who are willing, and you can say, yeah, I'll open the door. I hope you'll do that tonight because if you'll say yes to Jesus Christ, you can experience the beginning of a process of a resurrection. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but here is a prayer I want to put up onto the screen. And I want you to know the urgency of this prayer because some of you, the thing you need the most is you need peace. You can't wait another day for peace in your life. Oh, you can have objections. You can have your arguments and you can have all your positions. Listen, I have come to appreciate and have been very, very thankful for peace. There is nothing like lying your head on the pillow at night with the peace of God that passes all understanding in your heart. That's what you want. You think it's money. You think it's pretty. You think it's, it's, it's power. You think you need more experiences, more excitement. I'm telling you, what you really want is peace. And the peace of God that passes all understanding comes when we stop trying to play God and trying to do it on our own or clean it up on our own. And we say, God, I need you to come in and I need you to start bringing your order and your direction. In fact, you be God. I'll, I'll stop playing God. You be God. And if you're ready to start that process tonight, and I hope you are, I want you to pray a prayer with me in a little different way. You don't have to close your eyes for this prayer. I want to put a prayer up on the screen. And I want you to stare at this prayer. And if you say, that's my prayer, I want you to, in your heart, just pray this in your heart and just say, that's me, God, that's me. Let me walk you through this prayer because he is here to save you tonight. And here's how that process can start. Sincerely, stare at this prayer and let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I know you proved you were God by rising from the dead. And you know, you don't have to understand that. You can just, somehow you just know that's the gift of faith that God can give you. I know 
Somehow I know that you are God. You rose from the dead. I'm truly sorry for resisting you and for the sins I've done against you and others. I'm ready to let you save me. I'm ready to follow you. Will you fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to live for you? I put my life in your hands tonight and trust you to restore me in your timing, not mine. I'm willing for you to redeem me and to use me for your purposes. Let me share your love with others. Amen. Now let's just leave that prayer up on the screen for a minute. I want to give you a moment of contemplation. Just stare at that. And if that's your prayer, you just pray it to your God tonight. Now, I know in a room of this size, many of you are praying this prayer. I want to help you. A process doesn't happen alone. It's not an individual journey. And tonight I want you to tell somebody that you prayed that prayer. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be the person you came with. But here's what you can do is you can take this card out tonight and you can just write on it and say, I'm ready to start the process. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready to follow Jesus. And we're going to help you. You see, it's, it, you're not the same. Don't ever compare yourself to anybody else. You're not like anybody else. But we want to help you figure out what's the next step for you to take on your spiritual journey. We can help you. And life doesn't have to stay the same. The process of salvation can happen in a moment. If you prayed that prayer, I know that the peace of God is filling your heart right now. God can do that. He'll start something where he gives you peace and hope. And then the next step is where the process begins. And you can just write on this card and you can say, I'm ready to start the process. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready to follow Jesus. And if you'll write that, I'll read every one of these. I'll pray for, for you. And I'll make sure that we get you the help that you need. We'll send you something to help you get started on your spiritual journey. If you want, you can come and after the service is over and people are leaving, there'll be people here at the front on either side, near the front, near the back. But just come, come up after people are leaving and we can pray for you. We would love to pray for you for whatever uh, need you have, whatever's going on in your life. We care about you and we love you. And the message of Easter is that things can be different. A resurrection can start in your life. Let me pray for you one more time. Father, there are people here tonight who need you. And I pray, Lord, that, you know, they need you, Lord. They do need you so bad. And I pray, Lord, that they would, they would realize your peace. They would take the next step. Holy Spirit, whatever you're asking us to do, may we do it with boldness now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, happy Easter, everybody. Thank you so much.